welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 67. So this is the second part of my Death Metal Forgotten Gems. I'm recording this like directly after the first one. Then the last one we got through everything that came out in 1993. So this will be pushing onwards going into kind of the late 90s through to a couple of albums from the early 2000s. I'm recording this before there is any backlash to the first one, so you may find by the time you're listening to these, these both episodes have been changed to uh, death metal, really no- well-known albums that Phil somehow missed, or something along those lines. So the first band I want to get into is Phlebotomized from the Netherlands, who have a very avant-garde take on death metal. They, they're, The core of their sound is this this bizarre melding of very brutal with very melodic but like both at once it's it's a really interesting sound so in the lead up to the debut album they had a series of demos and eps in which like the the, what they were doing sort of evolved slowly while the lineup remained kind of consistent of this uh their first ep in search of tranquility had a vocalist who only lasted from that point and they were replaced by by another singer on their second EP, Preach the Eternal Gospels, and at this point their lineup became a seven-piece, picking up a violin player. So there's some really interesting stuff happening between these two uh, like debut EPs, but then the first album proper, Immense Intense Suspense, which I think is the really well-loved bit of their catalogue, came out, and... It is a bizarre album, right from the start. You think, as I say, it's that core of all these things happening at once. So there are a seven-piece lineup with a vocalist, uh, two guitarists, bass, drums, violin, and keyboard. But the vocalist has this really sort of low, um, brutal death metal vocal, and a lot of the kind of riffing almost leans more to the kind of early brutal death metal scene it's particularly like some of the other like more brutal bands from the Netherlands at the time but then you've got these beautiful melodic keyboards and violin like the violin isn't just like in occasional moments there is violin throughout and plenty of like sort of breakdowns that give the moment like give the the violin a moment to shine like in the opening track of the album um uh, the the title track immense intense suspense uh, there is an amazing kind of use of this uh, yeah the the vocalist also throws in some occasional really well placed cleans it's very confusingly constructed music uh, there there is so many interesting elements happening here lots of lots of moments of intense death metal mixed with wonderful melody most of the songs on this sit at like the six or seven minute mark often using the violin and keyboard to like interlude parts to join lots of different great death metal riffs together like it's got really great like sort of headbanging moments it's not like the fastest album out there it's there's a lot more kind of slow pace but just brutal moments when it gets into the proper death metal we also get some cool kind of slight reimaginings of songs from the earlier EPs, both uh, In Search of Tranquility and Desecration of the Alleged Christian History, uh, like one of which starts with this amazing kind of um, keyboard build-up, this very like atmospheric, almost kind of like folky-influenced uh, bit of melody that gives way into like way more heavy death metal. Those, those aforementioned interlude sections are amazing, like really 
wonderfully melodic and I, I really love the use of violin throughout this it it works so well those occasional cleans as well really tie things together nicely the um the guitar work of tom palms the lead guitarist is really impressive as well the couple of solos he throws in on this are really well played and really well structured i believe he's the overall band leader because this much like i think the bands we mentioned last episode this is a band that has reformed in uh recent years and at this point he is the sole remaining original member it's interesting as well because they've reformed you can see live videos of them and this is one one of those things where the band is really ambitious having the seven-member lineup. But the problem is, if you're a small death metal band and trying to play festivals, you might be on a pretty small stage, and seven people looks bloody awkward on one stage. <laughs> Especially, yeah, with that variety of instruments, like keyboards take up a lot of space. So like many of the very progressive bands, these guys put out one further album, Sky Contact, where they completely changed up the sound. They, I believe they lost the violin player for this one and went down this kind of... Uh, Oh, no, no, they they had got in a new bass player who also played violin, so it's still in the sound, but just not quite as prominently. But yeah, on their second album, Sky Contact, from uh, 1997, they go, like, far more for this, like, avant-garde death and roll kind of thing, you know, sort of uh, in a similar vein to Zizma, but they, they change up the vocals and make them a bit more melodic, less of the less of the kind of real extreme approach with the uh, drummer Lawrence Payne taking over vocal duties. It's quite interesting in this period of like 10 years where they were properly active, there's not a great deal of lineup changes. We have the same core of uh, drummer and two guitarists and keyboard player remain throughout. Sorry, uh, Dennis Geesman's still on vocals on this album. Uh, misreading, the <laughs> misreading the lyric book there. The drummer also added some additional vocals. Uh, but yeah, Sky Contract I've not got so into yet. So these are all part of a collection I picked up relatively recently. I've got um, both their debut EPs and then a sort of dual re-release of these two albums. They broke up almost immediately after Sky Contact just because of the usual things of like sort of not being pushed by the label quite as much anymore and struggling to get together. But in around uh, 2013, they reformed with quite a few of the original members and started playing a few shows and eventually put out uh, Deformation of Humanity in 2018. Although at this point, it was just Tom Palms leading the band with a completely new lineup, but still, you know, following on, on the same kind of vein. I've not delved into that or Sky Contact as much um, at this stage, but really need to because it's it's a fascinating discography like again for 1994 this is such a unique idea but realistically even at this point in time throw, like neatly putting violin over brutal death metal is a very interesting idea like it's it's not something that's been explored a lot by bands like beyond the obvious ones like Nibble and Scaris who sit more in a kind of like melodic black and death metal territory it's quite a quite a different idea to what uh, Phlebotomize were doing and I'd say for anyone who's who is new to the band the real start point is the, the immense intense suspense that album is just 50 minutes of like a, it flows amazingly it's so well constructed death metal these songs like really justify their like seven minute plus runtime with like the amazing amount of transitions and riffs and ridiculous stuff going on like the 
the the way the songs are structured, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. It's really cool stuff. Uh, fitting in with uh, the kind of what we've been saying about the sound, it, the the album covers this band have had throughout are bizarre. Like the front cover to Immense is this weird shot of like a little goblin creature sitting on a rock in front of like a cloudscape. It's it's another one of those. If it wasn't for the band logo, you would have no hint of what kind of album this was going to be. And in some ways, I wonder if it is sort of a nod to the old seventies prog scene. The kind of the way the art's drawn kind of has that feel of some of those more fantastical seventies prog albums. Then uh, Sky Contract goes completely weird, and the front cover is like a baby swimming in like a purple underwater kind of weird sci-fi scape surrounded by fishes that are also guitars and flutes really really odd stuff but yeah i think there's some kind of there's got to be some leaning to that older prog i think the the ideas of the way like the keyboard and violins are included even just like the complex structural things and there's definitely some love of that scene like certainly this is a death metal band that's taken far less influence from punk and grind than it has the progressive end of metal despite oh well not metal sorry but rock even uh despite having that level of brutality i think as well it's like i'd say there's some really underrated musicians involved in this um vocalist uh, martin post i don't believe has gone on to do Oh, sorry, no, that's the, the violin player going all over the place. Vocalist Dennis Giesman, I don't believe he's gone on to do a great deal outside of this, but I really liked his uh, vocal performance on this. Uh, and actually, if you go on his Metal Archives page, the picture of his him is him wearing a Pink Floyd shirt, like a white Pink Floyd shirt, which is fairly out there for 90s death metal. I think that was definitely still at the point in time where you get kicked out of a band if you turned up not wearing a black t-shirt. So these guys are definitely pushing something a bit different at the time. What's interesting, though, is they seemed to actually do pretty well. Like, they were well-reviewed when they first started out. Like, people were were into this sound. And I, maybe that is that idea of being that little bit later in the 90s that, you know, people were at a point of wanting something a bit different from death metal, but... With phlebotomizer, they definitely got that.
So this brings us to an album that can be basically described in a single word, fast. This is uh, the United States-based band Fallen Christ, formed in 1992 with their one and only album, Abduction Ritual, from 1996. And this album is just so bloody quick. Everything about it is just intensely fast. It's this super raw, rough around the edges, almost kind of grind influence. Like there's uh, there's over 20 songs and they're all about two minutes long with a couple of moments where things slow down and you get a, a whole five minutes of music. The, the production is like all over the place like it's basically all like kick drum snares and vocals with some hints of guitar somewhere in here but all the performances on it are just mad i can't believe how swift the playing is on this um so the only member of this band with any kind of notable history is uh drummer alex hernandez who was in Immolation from Failure of the Gods through to Unholy Cult, which are actually a couple of Immolation albums I don't know all that well. Otherwise, none of the other members of the band have any sort of real notable uh, notable credits. And the whole thing feels like a band sort of really loved Rain in Blood, but just felt it was way too slow, and just took that kind of like ideal of those slight... Like, evil sounding like era, like that era slayer riffs those kind of Kerry King Jeff Hanneman just aggressive noise in no particular scale solos and then the vocals are these like they're not particularly low or guttural but they're just so quick it's like um on those Vader albums where Peter goes ridiculously fast it's that kind of death metal rapping almost uh, the um the lyrical content is unsurprisingly mostly just anti-Christian, um, but you're not going to catch any of that because the vocals are too fast. It's um, yeah, a lot of stuff like "In the Name of Satan," "Evil Larvae," "Fallen Christ." I'm not quite sure of the relevance of abduction ritual, but uh, yeah. Anyway, this this album is one just to be enjoyed for the the ridiculousness of the performances, like. The, I can't believe Alex Hernandez is not on more albums. That drummer is so intense. For this era of death metal, you know, well, yeah, I mean, it's still true to the day. this day. Everyone wants to go faster than the next. This is, like, pre-massive triggering and studio trickery on that front. Like, this guy could just pummel the kit at a ludicrous pace. The guitars from what I can hear of them are incredibly well played. They sort of, the way the album works is all the tracks sort of have this... I guess, yeah, it is quite a grind influence thing of, like, there's, like, a really quick riff and then, like, a slower, more audible riff, then a super quick bit, and the vocals kind of, like, speed up and slow down with it. It's an incredibly intense listen. As I say, it's essentially the production is horrible, but it's just such an interesting artefact in that it's just such a brutal pummeling record i've been trying to place who the vocalist reminds me of and i realize it's dave vinson but purely dave vinson from the altars of madness album that kind of really fast slightly higher end sound he used to have like that kind of rasp imagine yeah altars of madness dave vinson but somehow even faster and all the music behind him is rougher and even faster <laughs> Yeah. 
Next up, we have the Denmark-based band Inequity. Um, Iniquity? Iniquity, I think. I-N-I-Q-U-I-T-Y. Um, who And their debut album, Serenadium, put out in 1996. So these guys sit in the kind of brutal death metal slash technical death metal realm. But there's just something a little bit more interesting to what they do than some of those bands around that time. So the album starts off with uh, Tranquil Sweet Seizures, which sits, I'd say, in very much in that kind of suffocation vein. Uh, the vocals uh, provided by um, guitarist Brian Petrowski are very Frank Mullen-esque, and the riffing is like a slightly less technical version of suffocation in a lot of places. What this band do, though, that I, I really enjoy is, rather than going into the proper kind of slam mosh parts in the middle, when they get to those, like, breakdown moments, they go really slow and doomy, and you have these really stompy, drawn-out sections in the middle of the songs, and actually this song has, like, a really great slow build-up, um... And actually, that slow build-up really shows off just how nice, like, the guitar tone to this album is. It's really thick and hefty. Yeah, it's got an amazing sound to this album. As the album goes on as well, though, we get some, like, quite interesting curveballs thrown in. In the second track, Prophecies of a Dying Watcher, in the second half of it, all this cello and keyboard comes in over the top of uh, the riffs, like adding this real atmospheric layer. Not in the uh, phlebotomized way, this is far more like subtle and just like another slight layer over the already existing riffing. Like you could probably remove it and it'd still work quite nicely. But it's just a fun thing of throwing something slightly different in there. A lot of the uh, like the tracks in this do sit very neatly in that kind of suffer worship vein, particularly uh, the title tract and spectral centre, far more traditional. But then as like, the album goes on, there is these these fun additions of other influences. And I think this is just like this album is just a testament to nailing the guitar tone, writing just excellent death metal riffs. There's nothing like that groundbreaking or monumental here it's just executed so perfectly and having that slight doom influence gives it a real um a real atmosphere throughout it, yeah it's just really interesting album disappointingly though the cover is really ugly and equally so is the band logo there's a lot of uh, extreme clashing colors there what uh, kind of a strange event. So I got this album recently, and it's these days it's packaged with the Hidden Lore EP, but which came out in 1998. So the band basically they're split up now, but they continued through to 2003. Put out a few more or more releases after this one, but in between Serenadium and this one, something kind of weird happened. Of newer member Jesper Jensen. Uh, who was drums for this album, seems to be the only member that makes it across to the EP. And weirdly, for a wee repackaged thing like this, of the two together, there is no, no explanation of um, what happened to the lineup in the meantime. The whole lineup for Serenadium disappears, and then there's a completely, completely new one on the next album. To add, like, confusion to it, uh, Metal Archives claims their original drummer is on the first album. I don't think this is actually true, because if that was the case, there would be 
no continuous lineup between these two releases. But yeah, I'm very confused why they're now packaged together because they kind of seem at odds with each other. Not least because of the musical change. Now, this might sound subtle, but for me, it was quite a big deal. Of in Serenadium, um, there's that clear suffocation worship. Hidden Law is way more dying fetus. It's got way more of the dying features kind of stomp to it it's got those like slight hip-hop grooves to it um which isn't part of this debut and it and it completely loses for my mind that slight uh more doomy atmospheric element also there it has like the most off-putting intro so i had to look this up it's this this like kind of quite hideous rants like a lot of shouting and swearing featuring the n-word which i later discovered from context is a scene from bad lieutenant where it might make a little more sense i've not actually seen the film uh obviously the original bad lieutenant not the nicholas cage one um but i don't know what they were hoping to achieve with this because otherwise the hidden law seems to be quite a move towards a slightly more political kind of ranty nature but yeah it's a it's a very strange ep i mean it, it's certainly got the fans and the band is still still kind of popular their later albums are still well loved i've not delved into anything after that but uh yeah to go back serenadium it's absolutely brilliant i feel inequity just came out the gates incredibly strong with this they had like a couple of demos before it but this was just a band who just totally found the sound on the on the first release. The as I say, the guitars sound absolutely amazing. The the riffing is fantastic. It's not quite up to the level of technicality you got in like the New York scene, but it has that similar kind of mosh pit inducing vibe to it. I would love to hear songs off this live. I just think it would be such a, such a brilliant. Uh, death metal band to catch in a live environment because you know it would just send these kind of riffs would just send people nuts
So next up we have a band from the Czech Republic. This is Appalling Spawn with their one and only album Freedom, Hope and Fury, The Second Spawn from 1998. I'm not quite sure it's called The Second Spawn. Oh, because their demo was called Bestial, Mystical and Spiritual, The First Spawn. Uh, so yeah, this album is... It's like the spiritual predecessor to an album I'm incredibly fond of, uh, Lycaphia of Flames, Ella Venferis, uh, which is an amazing melding of truly brutal, like almost slamming death metal with these amazing kind of progressive Eastern melodies. Uh, yeah, absolutely like beautiful and brutal at the same time really ridiculous music and appalling spawn is definitely like the genesis of that band freedom hope and fury is is a very rough round the edges album i mean even like if you're a flame were kind of messy but this one is far more kind of like everything about it is is kind of rough and raw but it really works. It's just such unique music. At its heart is this really hefty death metal. Like, just the massive, massive sounding, like, not quite into the ping territory, but like, you know, really tight snare drum, played ridiculously fast, massive guitar and bass tone, and then, like, then uh, Peter Tomanek's vocals on this kind of, like very low, completely impenetrable noise over the top of it. But then, thrown into all of that, thrown into all that kind of like almost slamming fury, you get tracks like uh, track two, My Heaven, which breaks into the middle into this really beautiful, like, interlocking lead and bass melody over this much slower beat, and then back into furious death metal. And then, then when we get to the point of, like, Azure Waters of Inthera, the instrumental. There's, you know, it's more lovely melody between this. This album, I think, I definitely say check it out after like a fear of flame. It's certainly not as, um, it's not quite as far-reaching or intelligent as that. And some of that might be um, down to the switching drummers between the two bands. So Gabriel uh, Pavlik, who sadly died in two thousand twelve was kicked out of Appalling Spawn towards the end of their their lifetime due to problems with alcoholism. And in came Thomas Korn, who you might know as the drummer of bands like Death Karma and Cult of Fire, who's a ludicrously good drummer. Not to say Gabriel was bad by any means, he's a very solid drummer, but I think Thomas Korn pushed the band to the next level with their, their next release, whereas in this one things are that touch more sloppy, that touch more... Um, it, it it almost feels like a demo for like a fear of flame and in the lyric book of Elephantus, uh, there is a sort of note about how all the members of the one band, when forming the next, kind of felt this um this need to evolve and shed what they were. Hence the the change in uh the change in band name. What's quite interesting as well is they're called appalling spawn, so you would expect some kind of really gross like vile violent lyrics but um the the songs aren't like that they're they're very much uh rooted in a more kind of spiritual nature tracks like manfra of hope or uh voyage to inward freedom you know this is not your standard brutal death metal uh 
lyrical fair, yeah, with the lyrical themes and metal archives. Spiritual longing, sadness, hope, and love. <laughs> like, it's very, um, very outside the norm for the genre. The thing I've always found, like, I think probably the weakest element of both bands, and no offence meant to him because he's an incredible composer, but Peter's vocals have always been just fine. Like, there's no kind of enunciation to them, but they're also not, like, hyper-guttural. They're just really rough. Like, they have this almost, like, slightly breathy air to them. But, uh, I mean, his guitar works fantastic and his composition is absolutely brilliant. Like, the guy's a ludicrously talented musician. I think he also said, actually, when questioned about would he ever do more with, uh, like, A Fear of Flame, he, he stated he kind of would want a different vocalist for it. So I think he's under no illusions that he was the best vocalist out there. But all that being said, this is still, like, stands as an incredibly unique album in the genre. And it, it's a style I'd really, like, explored more. I love this uh, melding of like that kind of extreme death metal riffing with some more left field like scales and kind of uh choices in progression like though a lot of like the middle eight sections of this band are so bizarre and also it shows with like there's no need to go down that road of the the hyper gory lyrical content there's no they, you can explore other topics and subjects with this style. It doesn't all like doesn't always need to be, I guess, hyper brutal. Although I guess the 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 comparison here is quite um, like the the choice of lyrics here is quite left field for the genre. It's not initially the uh, what were you necessarily normally couple with death metal because quite furious music. But then that sort of plays into the choices of scales, the choices of progressions in a lot of songs. There is a sort of weirdly hopeful nature to a lot of these songs. There is lots of like almost like major turns in riffs where things kind of sound slightly positive, uh, which it was just sort of odds with a very bizarre cover of like a kind of evil horned knight on a horse in this kind of like alien landscape with all this kind of this um yeah the kind of color palette of like purples and dark reds and appalling spawns logo really looks like your standard uh brutal death logo this kind of unreadable uh squiggle which again i think really plays into why they decided to sort of reimagine the band you can tell they've gone through this sort of uh evolution and actually the they never really started, as long as they were recording, they never were really that um, that traditional. Like, even their demo is completely weird. And actually now you can fairly easily get a release called All Spawns, which is, is both the album and the demo. Like, it's, yeah, it was well worth picking up because it's only about an hour of music and it's going to at least stand as some of the weirdest uh, brutal death metal you're, you're going to hear, especially brutal death metal pre-2000.
interestingly enough, on the episode where me and Rob spoke about like A Fear of Flame, we also talked about this uh, next band coming up. Uh, but yeah, again, a different album. So this is Panzer Christ from Denmark, and I want to talk about their second album, Outpost Fort Europa from 1999. So the album I spoke about before is their fourth album, Room Service, which I think is a you know, solid gold death metal masterpiece. I fucking love that album and they're they're an interesting band like they um so it's always been led by michael endervolson who is like has played multiple roles in the band throughout its time so on up on the first and second album he was a drummer he's also played keyboards for them he's uh played bass for them for most of the time and like They've moved through a lot of different sounds because the lineup has been such a revolving door based around him. So early on in their kind of lifespan, they were this quite like simplistic, catchy uh, death metal band. But in like sort of the album following this Soul Collector, things get like really gnarly and evil sounding. And then on Room Service, they just get this absolute powerhouse drummer in who just played these monstrous double kicks throughout um because michael himself never as a drummer was up to that level his his beats are a lot more simple in the the first two albums and then they, they take a weird move in the following albums to get more and more kind of like black metal influenced like bringing in a lot of um interesting elements of like keyboard and atmospherics which also do feature on this second album, Outpost. For a band named something as bloody stupid as Pounds of Christ, there's a lot more kind of like clever, interesting stuff going on here. Um, also, well, I think we said this before we covered them, for any of you worried, apparently the name was just based on them liking tanks. I've read a few interviews of them just going like, oh no, no, we don't support any like Nazi ideologies. We just really like tanks and the Panzer's a really good tank. It's just them being kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, not sure if that would still hold up these days, but they've had the moniker since, you know, 1995. So I, I think I can kind of let it go. The first album, Six Seconds Kill, is, is nothing to write home about. It really... It doesn't do a lot for me. You can now get it, uh, like, they used to be quite hard to get hold of, but then they re-released the first two albums as one collection, and the second two, Soul Collector and Room Service, is another one. The Soul Collector and Room Service one I'd highly advise picking up, but this uh, this first one's really decent as well. Um, the album's kind of interesting, because for the most part, it's this really kind of catchy, simplistic death metal, a few nice bits of lead guitar for an air, but mainly at the core of it, it's just really well-written riffs. But then they play with some interesting ideas on tracks like uh, Fort Europa and Surrender is Not an Option, of throwing in these really, really kind of like almost overbearing piano parts, like these like long kind of... Uh, keyboard melodies not just kind of like a couple of synth notes these long melodies and actually sort of build the songs around that surrenders are not an option is a particularly interesting one in that front it's it's essentially just piano and a blast beat it's uh amazingly catchy considering what it is like really really memorable if for me though the real highlights of this album are tracks like skin uh uranium angel and burning which are just ultra hooky death metal the vocal performance by uh lassie holly is really good uh, it's the this kind of um 
he he has like a slight level of distortion on his vocals throughout, but it's just this kind of like nasty, brutal sound. But you still got enough, uh, uh, like enough kind of power in there, enough like clarity as well to sort of get get some of the the lyrics out of it. Interestingly, so he he was only shortly in the band as the vocalist. Uh, he's gone on to have quite a successful career as like a, a sort of graphic artist and has done collaborations doing visuals for people like Steve Wilson and Porcupine Tree and Dream Theater. So sort of in terms of like continued musical collection, by far and away the uh, most successful member of this band, most of the other musicians from this album didn't go on to do do like all that much. Uh, but like the, the band is still being run by Michael at this point in time, although they've not put out a great deal of music in recent years. There's a couple of interesting things going on lyrically. Track 2, Skin, is essentially just a romance song. It is a, it's a love song, but for whatever reason, the delivery and the riffs just make it kind of work without seeming kind of forced or ridiculous. Overall, it's a pretty short album. It's less than half an hour, which is, I guess is fine, especially considering now the most likely way to pick it up is with like a couple of bonus tracks and the, the debut album as well. But that, that does feel like one of those things, especially because it's not got that kind of like grind sensibility. It's not super fast. To me, that almost feels like EP length. But then, in many ways, I love EPs, so I'm just sort of splitting hairs here. It's well worth checking out, just because there are a few ideas thrown in that are a little different for Death Metal of the Era, and even if those don't work for you, there's just a load of great riffs on this. <laughs>
Next up, we have a band who I'm not even going to begin to try pronouncing the name. It's spelled V-U-V-R. Uh, and is an acronym for a, a Czech phrase, which again I'm not going to attempt to uh, attempt to pronounce. So this is another one um, from the Czech Republic, as you may have guessed, with their one and only album Pilgrimage, released in 2001. And this is very much it starts off at least, um, and this is kind of what sold me the opening of it. Starts off as this like perfect melding of cynic era focus into atheist esque riffing. But with a guy who sounds a bit like George Corpse Grinder on vocals. And that is initially the core of it. The first track, Fear, starts with something that sounds like straight out of one of the like sort of interlude type moments on focus into this really complex uh, like jazz fusion meets death metal riff with like amazing slap bass and incredibly yeah complex stuff going on and then this really brutal vocalist up front now the album sort of continues on in that vein for about 15 minutes barring the uh this short interlude of autumn on keyboards and then just halfway through the band seemed to just go right we're done with that album and we're just gonna write something completely utterly different like the 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 fifth track longing has uh is all acoustic guitar with guest musicians playing tablas which is a kind of hand drum and an alto sax solo over the top of it it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful music i love it it has nothing to do with metal whatsoever then the next track passion gets um like gets into kind of more interesting territory there's like more jazz fusion comes in um and actually like it rounds out in a riff that is almost like a gorguts kind of sounding atonal weird thing but realistically at this point i think we don't get any i could be wrong again it's an album i'm sort of newer to but i don't think we get any more screen vocals past track four and it's a 10 track album um there is all sorts of amazing uh, use of um, like other instruments. I say there's a couple of alto sax solos. The aforementioned title track "Passion" has this amazing bit in the moment, in the middle of it, where it's like this cool like Spanish guitar style uh, backing, and then this amazing shredding solo that gives way into this really smooth like slap bass section. It's really, really brilliant stuff. Again, I, I don't know quite what genre to put it in. I, I mean, I think the uh, the the kind of by virtue of having that vocalist, this band have always put themselves in a place where they're going to only play death metal fo- festivals, and for their their relatively short lifespan, I think that's most of of what they did. I found on YouTube there's some cool videos of them playing and. It's that that quite quite interesting thing to watch because much like a band like Cynic, there's not a lot happening on stage other than this incredibly fast movement of fingers. Like they're three, so three, four incredibly gifted musicians. Again, with like a uh, a bass player who's also doing vocals, quite ridiculous uh, ability to do two things at once. Because the bass performance throughout this album. Is really impressive. He he's there's a lot of finger style stuff, a lot of slap bass, there's tapping, there's all sorts of different techniques going on. And probably explains why 
in some of the later tracks, like things give way to there being a lot more instrumental sections. I think almost half the album is instrumental. But despite its kind of complete direction change in the second half, I think I almost like that half more. I, I, I don't I don't know where it's at. I, I love the whole album. And I kind of really enjoy its completely all over the place nature. I can kind of see why this band only did the one. This feels like this feels like something there isn't an obvious follow up to this. They, the band sort of could have taken things in any direction. And that being said, one of the guitarists has gone on to be kind of a a solo jazz musician, which is totally a logical follow up to this album in some ways. I was a really interesting artifact, and I guess for me, as being someone who really likes jazz fusion and, and really likes kind of 90s influenced death metal, this just massively appeals to me. I think for a lot of people, the change halfway through will feel completely out of place and won't be something they get on board with. But certainly, uh, as an odd artifact from the early 2000s death metal scene, this is well worth looking up because, again, it's it's not quite like anything else out there.
Next up, we have uh, a band and an album that is kind of infamous. This is dripping with their only album, 2002's Disintegration of Thought Patterns During a Synthetic Mind-Traveling Bliss. So, dripping in a New Jersey-based band who... Um, put out a couple of EPs ahead of this and then this, this one kind of final album. This album is really fucking weird. It's experimental slam slash brutal death metal according to Metal Archives and I, yeah, I guess that's about spot on for it. It is just this kind of ridiculous melding of they were just put every influence they had into each song. The album's only 20 minutes long with like none of the songs clocking in much above the three minute mark. But each song has about 12 ideas in it. So it's just like the core of their stuff is that really like your standard picture of, you know, American slam metal, that kind of really pingy, super fast snare drum, low guttural vocal, like, like complete gurgle vocals really fast guitar work, stopping, and then, like, slowing down to the brutal, stompy slam riffs. But what they do is just every time, like, they finish, like, they sort of got through a logical cycle of a riff, there's just a, like, almost stop, and then there's another, another genre. You get all these kind of, like, electronica or, like, dubstep-type, like, massive bass drop noises, that like, complete, like sonic boom kind of thing coming in and like these like little electronica parts keep popping up um there's a bit in the middle of the second track through the storms where everything gives way to like classical music and female operatical vocals something sampled from something and then also there's all these moments of like absolute like tech metal freak out like the kind of really fast shredding guitar work uh but like all of it's completely built to just just bend your mind and obviously like this is a band you have a serious history with um with, with mind-altering chemicals uh, well uh, alleged mind-altering chemicals like their whole image from the few photos of them that that you can find, they look like really sketchy dudes. But they've made some fucking amazing brutal death metal here. It's very, very out there. Like I've hardly even touched on all the random things that happen throughout. There's like Spanish style acoustic guitar, 80s synth, and then like, like yeah, kind of dub beats. It's it's. It's really, really strange music. Uh, it's self-described as New Jersey jug drug metal, um, and I, I personally love this. This will, I think, this will be the most divisive one in this two-episode series. I think some people will really get it. Most will probably fucking hate it. Like I, the, those vocals are a hard sell in the in the first place. Um, like, but with the kind of the absolute kind of schizophrenic nature of it, uh, it's very, uh, it's very hard to get your head around. Um, there, there's, what keeps things quite interesting on the vocal delivery, both uh, guitarist Sebastian Russo and drummer Bruce, um, Bruce Mullum uh, do vocals, and then there's guest, like, high-pitched screams from uh, Mario Comasanz, who, like, yeah, adds just... Uh, 
another another layer to the vocals so it's not always the same gurgle throughout which i i really like in my kind of slamming stuff i want i want a little bit of vocal variation and if you were to just to take this album on the kind of you know your, your brutal death metal sections alone it's really good still but just throwing in all those other influences really works well and particularly with it only being 20 minutes long it's 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 nicely contained it 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 doesn't outstay its welcome in that time. Interestingly enough, track seven, Reflecting Identities, approaches being a normal death metal song. It even has like a a nice guitar lead in the middle of it, and it as such is quite accessible, which versus the rest, especially after the rest of the album, feels uh feels very weird. There's a nice touch to this album as well. All the tracks have their title, but then in brackets, like, introduction slash first chapter, second chapter, interlude, and the final track, the end. Um, particularly that last track, Poisoning Reality, brackets, the end, is an interesting one, because after 2 minutes 30, it just stops dead. So this album is, if you're not, like, say you're not looking at your your music player while while it's going, it's just 21 minutes of intense music or forever shifting and then it just stops just completely cuts to black and uh, yeah it, it works very well that's a, a very effective way of doing this as i say it won't be for everyone but this is certainly unique in the in the world of brutal death metal i think it's one of the closest this is I would call this avant-garde slam, and I can't think of another band I'd stick in that genre because they stuff like like Avia Flame have enough like other bits of style and other coherent melodies to tie them to other genres. This doesn't do the other styles long enough to not just be slam metal, but yeah, really, really interesting, weird music. <laughs>
so this next band i feel like might be super well known but i never ever hear them mentioned and i think it's kind of a shame because i think uh they're they're kind of really incredible but the, the lineup is kind of quite star-studded so the band is dsri uh spelt with the spelt dies i r a e um and they are a collection of uh, Polish musicians who you'll probably most well know as being members of Vader, apart from uh, second guitarist Jacek Hero. And um, what I'm going to be talking about their their third album, 2004, Sculptures of Stone. And Sculpture of Stone is essentially it's in that kind of Vader vein. So this is. Um, drummer Doc, uh, bass player slash vocalist Novi, who's never actually recorded uh, anything with Vader other than being on their live releases. I don't know if you know it's about Vader, but uh, Peter does all the all the bass in studio for them. Their bass players are, are purely live band members. Um, and then Hero on guitar and Malza of, of also of Vader on lead guitar as well. And what we get here is a kind of slightly more technical, um, more kind of intense version of some of Vader's sound. This is like, like almost a slightly more tech def take on it. Like, uh, say, the lead guitar work is far more um, complex, but also kind of uh, kind of melodic as well. It's just the the lead guitar was really impressive. I must say. Uh, Mauser was always like my favourite uh, backup guitarist in Vader, and I think it, like Doc is pretty much everyone's favourite drummer from from Vader's history. The the guy was absolutely legendary. His performance on their two thousand album Litany is just brilliant, absolutely incredible. Just such a pummeling, and this is what he really brings to uh, Sculpture of Stone, which is sadly the uh, the final album he ever recorded on. Like his his performance on this album and and as classics like Black to the Blind, Listen, Deep Profundis, he he's always been a monumental drummer, and I think a big part of why Vader sort of took off in the way they do they did. Uh, yeah, he his drumming on this is so intense and pummeling throughout. It's it's got some amazing like the production is really massive. Like the the drum sound is really driving throughout. But what we get, which we never get on at, uh, Vader releases, is really clear and prominent bass. So bassist Novi is a ridiculous finger style bassist who who favors doing a lot of like slap bass. Um, stuff even in the kind of extreme black and death metal he's known for playing he's uh you may know him as well he he took part in a lot of the early behemoth um recordings or at least i don't i don't know if he ever made it to album but he was he was their their bass player for for a number of years like um if you i he appears quite a lot and this might be an obscure reference on behemoth's crush fuck create dvd as an absolutely mad drunk on it that that tour dvd is it's pretty weird and yeah but like from watching him on that and other like vader dvds i i 
I was amazed just at his style. Like, his playing is so fast and ludicrous. And he does this uh, this thing he calls the blast slap, where he, he almost, his bass work becomes almost kind of percussive, like slapping really quickly on the low strings. And it makes for an amazing sound coupled with, with uh, Doc's drumming. Just a ludicrously potent uh, rhythm section. This is particularly well exampled on the the end of the third track, unrevealed, uh, unrevealed by words. The the last minute of this song, the like the rhythmic pummeling, it just gets more and more intense. There's great moments on the album, like the hunger, which has this brilliant melodic middle section where the two guitarists like trade off each other. They yeah, their their lead work is really fantastic. I lo- I just love how the guitars are written in this. Like Mauser has a slightly um, Slightly more melodic, less technical style, whereas Hero is way, like, definitely probably the more accomplished lead guitarist. And the two is very clear who's doing solos at any point. I quite, I quite like that they both still have their own style within this. And I managed to, uh, like, uh, get quite a sort of varied tone out of their, their lead guitar work. The vo- Novi's vocals are quite uh, interesting. He's not someone I, I actually knew was, was much of a vocalist, but, um... There's actually a live DVD of this band, um, An Art of an Endless Creation, for, filmed in like 2005. It's filmed at Metal Days Festival, but it's this really high quality recording. And for a band sort of uh, as small as uh, Disarray, oh, I'm, I'm amazed they sort of went to this length. It's got all these amazing like swooping camera shots and great close ups. Like uh, only a short set, but really, really fun to watch. Um, and, and and actually a really interesting monument, because I could be wrong on this, but I think this might be one of the last ever live performances uh, of Dumber, drummer Doc, who who tragically died not long after this. Um, and it, yeah, it's... It, it, and what's incredible is his performance at this point in time is just absolutely brilliant. The band are so tight and so on it, like... Uh, Novi's really impressive. The the bass work he's doing while doing his vocals, and his vocals sound exactly like they do on the album. He has this kind of like sort of weirdly enunciated scream. Like his his vocal style for this, he mostly does kind of one kind of sound, and it's a really unique one. I don't know. I can't think of any vocalist he sounds quite like. But there's also occasional moments like the track "Oceans of Filth" where he switches into like a a much higher register. Um, it, yeah, it's. Like, he, he's got something going on there. I think he might be a bit off-putting to some, but I, I quite like him. Uh, and actually, if you listen to, to this album or watch, like, live DVD or even watch, like, those, like, live recordings of Vader's, I always think it's a tragedy because he was in Vader for, for quite a few albums. He definitely was around for, like, um, the whole kind of Impressions in Blood, Art of War period like yeah but never recorded on them uh and it's kind of a shame because his bass playing is so complex and interesting i i think it would have added something to those albums but i guess peters and like things kind of interfering with his his vision um the other thing you can see from this dvd is his ridiculous bass guitar it's this this amazing if someone made the BC Rich Beast look more over the top. Sadly, I think he um about two thousand ten had it stolen while on tour and it, yeah, never returned it because it's this really personalized custom model and 
yeah, God knows where that thing is now. A real shame because it's clearly something he was really attached to. There's some great videos if you look him up doing sort of interesting bass playthroughs. The guy is an absolutely ludicrously good bass player. And it's one of those things that plays into my the whole thing with his band of I'm not quite sure why they don't seem to be that well known. Maybe saying Forgotten Gems a bit much, like I'm sure by virtue of the members of the band, they, they are known. I think a lot of it might hang on the fact their debut album, Immolated, is kind of dull. Like, for whatever reason, that one just didn't quite work. The two follow-ups are pretty good, particularly Sculpture of Stone. Um, and actually, really weird as a packaging thing, um, the easiest way to get this is in the DVD... The Art of an Endless Creation. It comes with both the album Sculpture and Stone and, and like, a live DVD as well. Very, very, but, like, in a DVD case. It's just an odd packaging. I've not seen a band do things that way. Sadly, with Doc's death, the, the band, like, very quickly fizzled out. Like, uh, they briefly... <laughs> Oh god, I've just seen this. This is fucking tragic. They briefly got Vitek in on drums. Uh, yeah, yeah, another brilliant Polish musician tragically lost way too young. God, yeah, between those two bands, two absolute drumming greats we lost there. Um, as for the rest of them, uh, Hiro has went on to, to play with... Well, actually not went on, he sort of... I think he's still in... Uh, Skeptic, a kind of more technical death metal band, but they haven't put anything out since uh, 2005, and he's now joined Voodoo Gods, who I, I don't really know much about. Um, Mauser, uh, around, like not long after this, uh, quit Vader to uh, play in a kind of like sort of melodic female fronted band, Unsung, with his really hot wife, uh, and. Novi has appeared on a few releases here and there, but um, hasn't really done a great deal in the last last like like fifteen years or so. He's got a couple of stuff like up to two thousand ten, but it seems like you know most of his stuff was was pre that point, like working with Vader or his old band uh, Devlin, which he, he also played bass and vocals for. But yeah, I highly recommend you go back and check this out. It's the both the DVD and the album are Doc's last performances, and it shows like the guy was clearly at the absolute top of his game when playing this stuff. Like just ludicrous musicianship and, and just really tight songwriting on this. This this has that Vader thing of like none of the songs outstay their welcome, and they have like more traditional structures that so are just kind of like catchy fun tracks but with some really decent ideas thrown in there
So to finish up, I want to do a quick nepotism corner for the Bristol-based band The Humanaut, who have just put out their debut album, Dust in the Giant's Hand. This is kind of... Um, I'd say somewhere between like like kind of modern thrash metal and melodic death metal, but realistically at the core of this, this is a lot of straight to the point, very groovy, very catchy riff based, uh, extreme metal. They're a Phoebe's band with Casey Montgomery playing all the guitar and bass, drummer John Rudin and vocalist Will Jones. Will Jones is quite like notable straight away on this release. Actually, he has this really interesting like very rasping high scream he does for most of the album. He throws in a few other things as well. There's a few, like, clean vocals interspersed on some of the tracks, and then there's a few, like, lower grunts that he throws in there as well, which keeps, like, the vocal performance really engaging, although, like, the, his high alone would be well worth it. I really, I really enjoy that particular style. It's got kind of the edge of, like, the Martin Van Drunen kind of rasp to it, but, like pushed kind of even higher yeah it's just a really cool noise then there's tracks like this is our war that i don't know he almost put me in mind of like alice in chains at the start of it particularly with like the style of clean vocal over the kind of almost bluesy riff that starts off with and then it kicks off into like full thrash riffing but yeah that intro like definitely gave me a bit of a different vibe for a debut album, this has got a really great sound to it. Katie gets a great tone out of the guitar and, and actually even the bass, which often when there's one person recording both can sometimes get a bit forgotten, but the bass not only has a good position in the mix, but also you know gets a bit of a look in in some of the riffs. The guitar works really good, not massively flashy. There's like, I think there's only one or two solos on the album, but the ones that are there are really fun. Like Particularly there's one that ends with this really great dive bomb, which yeah, it's just a fantastic little flourish. The drummer, uh, John Rudin, is fantastic. He's like an absolute powerhouse on this. Uh, and he's the one member, at least according to Metal Archives, with a bit more of a history. He's also in Just Before Dawn, who um, I think feature a few members of Benediction. Uh, they're kind of in that sort of bolt thrower, uh, hail of bullets kind of vibe of the war-themed to-the-point death metal. Their last album like, back in 2017 was really good. But yeah, sorry, I'm getting a bit off topic there. The Humanaut's real strength is just great riffing. The the album has so many like fantastic, really memorable riffs. Like personal favorites tracks like The Noose is Tight has two or three really brilliant ones in it. Also, like the second half of Ruins of Light after the kind of cool atmospheric intro. Um, yeah, really good sections to it. Curses are something I really enjoy in it, where the vocalist doubles up both like the high-pitched scream with this lower scream, like, sort of layered over each other. He doesn't do this a lot on the album, but the couple of moments we do does are, like, real highlights for me. As much as it's a great effect, I wonder if they don't, they avoid overusing it because it'd be impossible to sort of recreate live if it was just him. To complete his package, the album has a really great cover to it. It's kind of weird, twisted sci-fi, which fits so well with the kind of the genre of the band. Uh, the thing I didn't mention as well, actually, it's like it's a nice contained album at 40 minutes, but finishes in a really cool way with the final track, A World Unmade, actually like brings things to this quite like sort of doomy close. It's the, I, I believe, the slowest track in the album, and it seems to get like a lot heavier and darker than a lot of the rest of the material, which just felt like a really, a really cool fitting ending to the album. Overall, I think Dehumanaut have just put out a fantastic debut here. If you're a fan of like, 
melodic death metal, all those kind of styles, I, I think you could really get on board with this one. It's just a very complete package. Like, everything about it's just really well executed and clear the three members involved are incredibly talented. It just makes me proud we got stuff this high quality coming out of the local Bristol scene and, you know, fingers crossed in the near future this band will be performing live because I'd love to see these songs in a live setting. It just... It feels like an environment this band would really thrive in. So yeah, the album is To Humanaut, Dust in the Giant's Hand. Yeah, so that about does it for this episode. Um, please get in touch as usual. You can contact me on at Breakfast Metal at Twitter, fellsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com, or search for Breakfast Metal on Facebook. I'm fairly active on all those accounts. Yeah, let me know if any of these bands we talked about today were new to you, or if you got any suggestions from like this kind of time period of great kind of unknown death metal albums, bands that maybe didn't ever get past the demo phase, but had like a really interesting idea. I'd be really happy to hear that kind of stuff. Also, I realise I've almost got enough uh, stuff I've recently got hold of for another one of these episodes, so... If you fancy more in this series, let me know. Or maybe if you want me to do another like deep dive episode, hit me up and let me know a band you'd like me to go deep on. I've always had suggestions of uh, Hate Eternal and Belphegor, so both bands I'm currently trying to dig through their discographies. But yeah, yeah, please get in touch. And yeah, thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>